Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the rogue to my paladin. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. I feel like you could almost have gone with the melee ranger to my ranged ranger, Kevin. You know, <laughs> yes, we got true, here. true, true. <laughs> and our very own barbarian. That's right. It's Eric Ronick. Eric, how are you doing, buddy? Slow, as usual, but... Great. Full of rage, but full, full of, of rage, rage. Full of rage. Not going to die until the end, but... All right, so let's start with my favorite story from this week. Let's start with my favorite story from this week and then work our way down to least favorite. Um, so my favorite story this week, it's it's uh, it's pro day season. And Pete and John <laughs> have been heading over around to the different pro days, especially focusing on the quarterback pro days. And at each quarterback pro day so far, they've gotten a selfie posted to the official Seahawks Twitter with them, the quarterback taking the picture and all the staff behind them. This is the ultimate smokescreen, and I I love it. It's so amazing, Eric. How do you feel about the quarterback selfies that they've been putting out? I mean, I think it's kind of a fun way to do it. Everyone assumes we're going quarterback in the draft. I <laughs> I think we are, and I think we're totally not, which is such a Seahawks thing to make me think. Yeah, they're they're definitely trying playing games with you, right? They're playing games here. It's like, oh, are they going to do it or are they not going to do it? It's definitely super. It feels super shifty. Like they're trying to they're they're trying to get people thinking. For how many years did we kind of look at like Pete Carroll's playlist and then try and figure it out and then retroactively try and figure it out? And there'd be like two years where, or it's two times over the years. Oh yeah, like oh Pete's draft draft clues. Like oh, they're, yeah. they, it's so random, and I feel like this is the same exact thing. Where it's just like Pete really likes just taking pictures with young people and acting like he's still young, <laughs> and so I, uh, like, this is just Pete doing Pete things, and then everyone's like, "Oh, let's analyze this." Meantime, this is just Pete being Pete, man. I I love the that Greg Olson is just center in all of these <laughs> with his slick back hair and just like I just love the way that guy looks. He just looks like the kind of guy who who would say forget about it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it makes me really really like Greg Olson. So I'm uh I'm into it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a super fun way to kind of uh you know kind of get every all the other teams at least thinking like hey we they might pick a quarterback if we want to get a quarterback we got to get in front of them which i think is what they maybe really want maybe they really want four teams to pick four quarterbacks in front of us so we can get will anderson or maybe we really do want a quarterback i think if the right one fell they would definitely pick him so it's 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 an interesting uh situation that we're creating for ourselves here and I, it's a great smokescreen to keep just to keep doing it too just to keep doing it every time we, we meet another one well, and I don't, I don't know what the draft is going to be, and if we're, as we get closer, we we'll do our little mocks. But it kind of makes me wonder if Will Levis will be available, and the Seahawks will be like, "Yeah, our, our guy didn't fall to us, you know, so we're going to take this other guy." Yeah, that's I me really I not wanting Will Levis. So I don't, I don't know if they if they don't like the quarterback, I don't think they'll pick him. That the, the Seahawks just won't. They're not. That's not us. We're not, not that re- team. Well, that's the thing. When we're it, reachy in different ways. Yeah, we're, if a guy's down our board, he's down our board. I think it's more likely that we trade up to get the quarterback we want. That we say, hey, knock, 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 Carolina Panthers, do you want pick five and pick 20 for us to pick first? And the Panthers go, yeah, we'll recoup some of that draft capital and move back to five. That's the kind of play I think is more more likely than the uh, – but. That's only if they don't if they decide they like multiple of the quarterbacks or they decide they don't they don't care which one they get. Right. That's that's what they have to feel like to feel comfortable trading all the way back to five. 
the other this interesting is... thing in this is the Cardinals because they have a new front office. It's a new regime, and you have to ask yourself. You know, I know trading within the division is uncommon, but you kind of have to ask yourself: Is that something that they would do in this situation? Because they do have a lot of holes on their roster at non-quarterback positions, and so picking up another draft pick so that they can add, you know, two to a waning defense or get that offensive tackle to go with a defensive piece like five and twenty to move up to three, I don't think is off the board the way it would be in different situations. They can no, afford to trade inside the division. The Christian. No one trades inside the division like that. They ain't gonna do. That. They ain't gonna give us the guy we want. They're going to let the Colts hopefully pick the guy we want. Um, I don't know. I, I can't I can't imagine it. It just seems so hard to believe for me because there's so much pettiness in division. And maybe, you know, maybe Gannon doesn't have that pettiness yet, but he will <laughs> eventually. Well, that's, that's, why, that's why I said first year in a regime. Like they don't that the hate just isn't in the heart yet. Um, all right. We, we got it. The Seahawks didn't. The Seahawks made a move this week. They gained a new beat reporter. Uh, Quandre Diggs, breaking news <laughs> on Twitter. He got the scoop. He was the first one to it. Uh, Bobby yeah, Wagner. You say new, but this is he's yeah, but he he he's been he he's adding things to his resume this offseason. Yes, recruiter, yes. recruiter, beat reporter. Like when he retires, he's gonna have a thick resume of of things that he can do and skills that he can present. Uh, also, roast comic. I mean, he's yeah, just got yeah. it all going on, and he could put that he's all on the resume. On that real Rob path. Yeah. <laughs> He can really get the uh, the the TV job that he's probably going to have. So, but Bobby Wagner has returned to your Seattle Seahawks uh, to play alongside Devin Bush. Uh, Kevin, I know uh, there's there's some there's some members of Seahawks Twitter who are excited and some who are not. Where did you fall emotionally about when when we heard Bobby is going to return? Emotionally, ten like fifteen out of ten. Like I can just ignore the one year he was with LA and he's a career Seahawk and everything's great. And my life is as happy as possible. Um, as far as like analyzing a football team, it's a good move. You get a guy who knows the system. He comes in. He's able to do everything that you want a linebacker to do. Um, he's a sure tackler. He's capable in coverage. Even if he has lost half a step, uh, like what we were missing was someone who went in and just did the job. And Devin Bush has high upside. Bobby Wagner comes in and just does the job. He provides an extremely safe and rather high floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Eric, how did you? Were you excited about the return of Bobby Wagner? Yeah, I was. I was over the moon. I mean, he never should have left. Like Kevin said, he's. Uh, Kevin didn't say he's probably lost a step. He insinuated it. I think he has probably lost a step. He's still, right now, I think the best linebacker on our roster. I'm not going to mince words. Oh, wait, I forgot our angle. He lost three steps. He's slow and old and definitely is not going to be the same yeah, person. Need, we need to make we him should mad. listen to this exact clip That's while he is getting ready for every game. We need to make him mad. He's washed. He's completely washed. We need to <laughs> actually just have him listen to to, to the uh, the what's the uh, Seattle Overload podcast. <laughs> that will give him plenty to, to make him mad. Uh but anyway, Eric, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, I was listening to like Steve Buscemi and uh, um, Billy Madison. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> then he puts on lipstick. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a. I wasn't. Uh, I, I will say it. I was a little emotional. I wasn't like crying, but I was like Nathan at that episode of Raw where Daniel Bryan retired. I didn't cry, <laughs> but I, I thought about it. That's a little yeah. throwback joke. I was really happy, though. Like, I was just like, man, welcome home, Bobby. It's about time. 
I um I really I don't think he's you know the Bobby that he was before. I'm just gonna say it. Even though he was Pro Football Focus's highest rated linebacker last year, um, I do think he's a sure tackler. I think he could still make splashy uh, splashy plays. I'm not worried about. Um, and the thing is, is that we don't need him for the whole season. Even we need him until Jordan Brooks comes back, and then it's a competition between him and Devin Bush, who's playing better. And um, we're not gonna use three linebackers ever. It's who's gonna get 61 percent of the snaps while when Jordan Brooks is back and is getting 100% of the other snaps. So <laughs> I'm a uh, I'm I'm less I'm just less worried about like it, it it's a one year it's one year deal. There's no long-term commitment here. There's no like uh there's no uh, what are those called where they put the money in the second year and we he's not actually on the team. I yeah. there's none of the, there's none of that. Uh it's, yeah, it's just it's just it is it's this is what it is. It's it's one year, 7 one million dollars uh, void years, yeah, in the NFL that's what they call it, right? And then yeah. I think that I think that we can draft a we could draft a linebacker to come in and learn under Bobby and and kind of start the succession plan for linebacker too. I don't I don't see any problem with the way we've approached this offseason. If Devin Bush is great, then the rookie won't will, will be unnecessary. If Devin Bush is not, then we'll have a rookie to to kind of learn. Those guys will be learning under Bobby though. He's player coach for the second half of the season, which is what, exactly what we want him to be and need him to be. So I I think it's a great move. Um, the veteran presence will help. It will provide a calming influence for the defense. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about. Uh, what this defense could be, but you know, wasn't excited about what this defense could be. Hmm. LJ, LJ Collier. Oh, I was waiting L- LJ Collier. He signs with Arizona and his agent took to the internet and, and, and he said, and he wanted to, uh, to get some parting shots in. He signed with, and I want to remind you, he signed with the Arizona Cardinals. Okay. So, you know, like a real quality franchise that has done nothing for, many years um he said our main objective was getting lj to the right team right coaching staff and right scheme look at what they did last year in philadelphia they play upfield Janet jonathan gannon is what you want in a coach uh any you guys got any parting shots for lj collier to to fire back at him on his on his way out the door here you know i have nothing more damning to say to him than just bringing up his career stats page yeah I, I just wanted to let him know that I hope he enjoys being a healthy scratch next year, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this guy had every opportunity, and he was drafted too high. Too high. That was – when I, we were talking about Pete's draft clues, I wanted to make a joke about that. Like, is there a song about long arms and underperforming? Like, did, did he have ZZ Top's <laughs> oh, legs and that we were supposed to kind of insinuate something there? But, it's uh, something about a bull because he can only do a bull rush. Uh, yeah. That's why he's got to get downfield because he can only do one move and it's bulls on parade. Bulls on parade. There you go. All right. Uh, So going into defensive line, let's get straight into it. Our draft focus this week is defensive line. Uh, The way we, me and Kevin talked a little bit before the podcast, the way that we have decided to do this is guys that we think could play with their arm on the ground versus guys that we think probably should not. Um, cause yeah, at this difficult. point, at this point too, like it's hard to know exactly what kind of fronts the Seahawks are even going to throw out there. They cut Al Woods, which is an odd move if you're to cut your only healthy nose tackle, if you're going to really play a lot of zero technique. So it's now at this point, it's like, are we playing a three, four, are we playing a hybrid front? Are we doing all these five man bear fronts? Like what is our front even going to look like on a game to game basis? And I think, uh, at this point I, I'm guessing they're going to mix and match. It's going to be a lot of trying to confuse opposing teams by putting guys in different spots and um, guys that are more scheme flexible, scheme versatile. So like, um, you know, 
let's take let's take our 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 newest big signing, Draymond Jones. He could play DT in a four three, and he also could play defensive end in a three four. So I mean, he's scheme flexible. We can do different things. He also might be able to play DE on rundowns in a four three as well. Do you so, think you're yeah. gonna see him at nose? I kind of thought we would try him at nose when we signed. No, him. but not tech in a four three front. Not big enough, uh, I don't think. Um, really nose. That's yeah, what I said t- last week, and I noticed you guys are just kind of like, meh, but I don't know. I see Nose like- tackles are – nose tackles got to be huge. But, I mean, he could play inside in a 4-3. That's the thing. Like, he could – you could pinch him in between the guard and the center in a 4-3. It's it's like – if you're playing like a the 5-2 front that we use sometimes – Yeah. Maybe that's more what I'm could thinking, be Kevin. Like, lined up over the guard, but you don't want him lined up over the center where he's guaranteed a double team because that's just difficult. He doesn't have the anchor for that. So, and you want to, you want a guy who can hold up those two guys too in the run game. So you don't just get run. That position will get run at if they're just get, if it, if it's two guys too small. So anyway, that, anyway, so that's what me and Kevin decided though, is guys who put their hand in the dirt versus guys who do not. So next week will be guys who don't put their hand in the dirt. And that will also include all off ball linebackers. And this will, the week will be guys who we think could, or maybe should play with their hand in the dirt, or maybe should not. I don't know. It's just guys who it's, could. This is difficult. And there's some people where Nathan and I don't entirely agree on which Correct. part they end up in. And so, but like, this split, I think this does split the <laughs> amount of people better the way that I yes. have it now. So I think, well, this is what we're going to stick with. Okay. So let's close, start with our defensive line tiers. Our first is our clear first rounders. And we got to start with the biggest name, Eric. And this is the one that, Eric, I know you're going to have an opinion on. Yes. That is Georgia's Jalen Carter. Okay, it's been a whole story this offseason with the car accident and the and driving away from it. And now he goes it's just he goes <laughs> the to his car, pro the day. car accident with with dead people. Yes. Yes. Well, it's, yes. Fatal car accident that he drove away from. And then uh, he also had uh, his pro day where he could not he did no physical testing and could not finish the drills without getting tired. Uh, started to cramp up at his pro day. This is the biggest job interview of your life. Uh, what what do you how do you feeling about Jalen Carter right now, Eric? I have no emotions because where's your Jalen? Where's your Jalen Carter meter at? My Jalen Carter meter. It's somewhere. It's more like the axis where the the chance of us drafting him versus how I'm excited, and it's just like there's no intersection. Uh, I if we took this guy, I okay. Like let's look at where you actively see him being taken in the draft. Seahawks are off the table. Five, five, to, 10. five, five to, to ten. Five to ten. So, and so we're the we're the earliest. I think yeah, he could we're go five, now. and I don't know. I feel like some dumb team is going to take a flyer on him, and I hope it's not us. Only because when we first started talking about it, I was like, "This guy's exciting," but as Nathan pointed out, he's a guy who may not want to put football first. Um, I mean, he definitely doesn't. Want, even if he loves football, he doesn't love physical conditioning. Yes. <laughs> you, it's become very, it's become very, it's been very apparent to me that he's fine with the fact that he can only play thirty snaps a game. I don't know, like how many snaps a game can you rely on this guy for at this point? There's like, been guys like that before, Sam Adams, but Sam Adams, you can put in there all game long. Uh, he'd take time off on the field. It's the NFL's different now. Um, also, the the whole thing about the car accident, like. These are two people he knew that died and he left. Like as if you want to kind of uh, de-strapolate that down to being a teammate on a football team, something not as important. I'm kind of like, I don't think this guy's going to be able to handle it. I do not want Jalen Carter anywhere near our draft board. I think he's, I think the Seahawks got to have him pretty, pretty close to off their draft board or, or such a late, such a late 
uh, number that it's probably going to be pretty impossible for us to for him to end up on our team. The talent is undeniable. The splash plays on tape are among the best in the whole draft, but the problems are are real. The fact that Georgia never scaled up his snap count, despite his immense talents, is worrying. Um, because that means, you know, they didn't trust his conditioning and then he couldn't get through his pro day workout, which is like, that's the biggest job interview of your life. You have to crush it that day, right? That's the day where you need to crush it. And it's hard. He's, you know, he's a 21 year old kid like there who has gone through some stuff with this car accident and stuff, but, um, it's not, none of these things are new. And like when I think it was Todd McShay who said, yeah, there were character questions here. I don't think anyone's saying that this is a bad person. I think he's probably a good person, but he's just maybe he doesn't have the mentality of the average NFL player. And so he's going to have to be an outlier from that standpoint. Right. Like the mentality that the kind of psychopathic work ethic that most NFL players have, he just maybe isn't doesn't have it. And from that perspective, he has he has to overcome that that kind of um, different what makes him different than most successful NFL players. Can he overcome it? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen knuckleheads or, or people who. Uh, don't seem to care that much, be very successful in the NFL, Jadavian Clowney. So, um, sorry, you guys didn't realize Jadavian, available. Jadavian Clowney at all. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, that's just, that's just, it's, it's fine. He could that's be great. She said nothing controversial. He, he could be, he could be great still, but, uh, but I, it's riskier. It's riskier than it seemed at the beginning of draft season. And it gets, it seems riskier and riskier every day. Uh, Kevin, where are you at on Jalen Carter? Where's your Jalen Carter meter? Okay, I think you said something really important, and that is um, he's an outlier. And specifically, it's his snap count and his uh, perceived conditioning and work ethic that is the outlier. And I hate spending top 10 picks on outliers because a top 10 pick has to work. So I... The off-field stuff, I don't really get into specifically because we're not going to know all the facts until after the draft is done. So I just want to look at on-field things, and on-field things already give me enough to worry about. And specifically, that has to do with the conditioning piece of it. When you're drafting a guy in the top five, I want that player to be able to play um, starting snaps. I want him to be able to play 50% or more of the game. And like he's versatile. He could play nose tackle. He could play three tech or one tech in a four down system. He could play as an oversized edge because he's big and powerful and capable of being a power rusher. Like he's the type of versatile down lineman that we're looking for, but I just don't think you can take him that high when the washout potential is so high. Like he reminds me of Robert Kandiche where he has every tool you need to be a very good player, but there are so many questions about what he's going to do and how he's going to handle the rigors of the NFL that it's, it's hard to draft him that high. He ended up, Kim D ended up going 29th. If Carter fell to 20, you taking a look there, Kevin, is that, is that, is that a, is that low enough for you to be like, yeah, we should just snap him up at 20. Yeah. I think the upside's there at 20. I would take him. Okay. So late first is okay. But, but that early first is too big of a risk. All right. Um, let's go to the next guy, the longest arms in the West. That's Uh-oh. right. Ty, Uh-oh. Tyree Wilson, defensive end, uh, from Texas tech. I, and if you have, uh, followed, uh, the, if you're on the Seahawks Nexus card, you know that every time this man is mentioned, uh, I go ahead and post a, uh, gif of like the wacky, war- wacky arm inflatable tube man. I don't, 
I'm just going to start. I don't get Tyree Wilson. I think he's all right. Like he's, he's solid, but like other than having long arms, there's no elite skill for me. And it's, it's weird to me to think like that this guy is going to go third or fifth overall. It just doesn't, he doesn't fit the, the part to me. He's definitely worse than Will Anderson. Uh, and I, I honestly don't even know if I'd take him over Carter. He just doesn't seem like he, he doesn't play great in the run game. Uh, I don't think he like attacks blocks super well. Um, he could, he has all the tools. If he can get to like, raised up he can be amazing because the wingspan is incredible um but i just don't see i just don't see it with him i just don't get i don't get i don't get top five i get maybe top 20 like with him right like at 20 i would love to have a tyree wilson style player but i don't see top five for me so he'll go he'll he'll go between our pick and 20 and there's no chance of us getting him but that's kind of where i'm at kevin am i am i way off base in tyree wilson uh if you are, then we both are. Um, he's on my list of guys I don't want at five and would be happy with at 20. Uh, and for basically the reasons you mentioned, outside of his length, I don't see a single exceptional trait. I think one of the reasons why he's being projected really high is because there is a lack of clear top 10 talent in this draft. And so he's getting pushed up and he's a really easy projection. He's a very clear base end or uh, in a 4-3, or defensive end in a 3-4, that has the size where you know he could become a quality run defender, that has, um, you know, he can use a long arm and a bull rush to be a power rusher. Like, it's really easy to see what he does in the NFL. I just don't think he does it at, like, double-digit sacks. Another thing is, like, like I want to talk to all the, like, YouTube scouts about, like, what bend actually means. Like, just being fast and getting around the tackle doesn't make, make you bendy. This guy is not bendy. Like he gets, yeah, sometimes he gets off really fast and gets around the tackle, but there's no like angle flexibility. He's not turning the corner in a way that makes me think like, oh, this guy is super, super bendy. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't flatten the arc at all. He like just, he just like no, goes he has around. lateral agility. He does not he, have bend. He, like he, he goes around the guy. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just don't know. I don't get, I don't totally get Tyree Wilson, but I, I do think he's a good football player. If he, if we traded back to like nine, and so someone came up to get their quarterback and Tyree Wilson was our pick at nine. I would be pleased. How about that? Yeah. That's kind of my line. It's like five seems too high for me. I want I want quarterback or Will Anderson at five. Like there's really no other option for me at this point. And and Tyree Wilson just feels like a like a little a little rich there. All right. Other guys in the first round that we like uh, that are for or other guys that are first rounders probably on the Seahawks board. Uh, Miles Murphy. Kevin, uh, Miles Murphy out of Clemson. What, how do you feel about him? Uh, so Miles Murphy, I have on my list of guys that I think are more of a stand-up edge. Okay. Um, and that has a lot to do with uh, just kind of his skill set. But I really like him as a player, and like he's one I would be super happy to get at uh, at twenty. I think that he Clemson asks their defensive linemen to do things that do not allow them to get sacks. Um, he's not an elite bender, but he has good size and speed and power. He uses his hands really well. He sifts traffic really well to be able to like shed and make stops in the run game. Good, um, good leg push too when he stays low. The yeah. problem is that he doesn't. There are many times he does not stay low, which is why I think like this guy can play with his hand on the dirt, but he's got to get someone to just get him to stay low all the time. 
the fact that he gets so upright sometimes really hurts him in in uh, in a lot of his his uh in a lot of his pass rushing stuff. It's like if you just stayed low all the time, you would be the he would be he would be where Tyree Wilson is on people's boards because he's such a phenomenal athlete. And he's really consistent. He doesn't have like big time splash plays, but he has athletic traits that tell you he should. So his consistency actually makes him really like, again, he's another guy. If he's sitting there at 20, easy snap keep. Uh, Murphy bench pressed 405 pounds, power clean 335, deadlifts 505, uh, vertical <laughs> jumps 35 inches, broad jumps 10 feet, clocked in the high four fives in the Feldman's Freaks uh, Feldman's Freaks article, which you guys know I love. Uh, this guy is a freak, though. <laughs> he's 100% a freak. And yeah, if he's there at 20, you just you just pick him up. He's he's super good. I don't think he'll be there. I think he, he goes around 10-ish for me. Uh, but if he is, that's great. Another guy. We'll stay. Let's stay in Clemson uh, with Brian Brzee, Kevin. Uh, uh, Brian Brzee is a really hard scout. So do you know his backstory? Yeah, the, it's very depressing. His sister. Well, are, are we talking about that? Like We're his, talking about both. So first he had injuries and then his sister had uh, brain cancer, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And she, uh, died she, in the season. She passed during the season. I, I will say that is the kind of stuff Pete Carroll really is drawn to that kind of like surviving through adversity, overcoming adverse adversities, uh, stuff like that. But it makes um, his 2022 tape impossible to actually dissect. Yeah, he's not. Like it, this is a pure like athletic projection. Um, he's big. He has adequate length as an interior guy, which I think is what he is. He's a three tech or a defensive end in a three, four. Um, He'll immediately be productive as a run stopper. Like he plays a little bit high, but he's just really friggin' strong. And so he, and he's hard to like move off a spot. Also, if a offensive lineman dips his head, like he has a good like rip and club move. So I think he can work as an interior disruptive player, but he can also just be strong at the point of attack. Um, it's just like, I'm, I'm seeing splash plays, but he just didn't play enough for me to say he did anything consistently. Very close to 300 pounds, 93rd percentile, 40, 81st percentile, three cone. This guy is a good athlete and he's pretty big. Um, and as, as he puts on more weight, as he gets in the NFL, I think he'll really develop into, into he's, he's an elite prospect. This guy, this guy is really, I think the kind of guy you, you, you bring him in and he, the first year, maybe he's not that dude, but by the second or third year, like a Draymond Jones, he's like a Draymond Jones yeah. is like a very kind of the arc that I see this guy. Uh, putting in as he and he's as a he first round pick also because you want that fifth year option because that's when he's going to be heating up yeah. he's really really good all right hmm. uh, our last first rounder although there's some debate here uh we have one maybe one guy that's a fringe first rounder but we'll our last clear first rounder Kalijah Cansey out of Pittsburgh um and I'm I'm gonna go first because I I fell in love with this guy from the start I'm I, this guy. I, have, I have no idea how you spell his first name is it a k or c c-a-l-i-j-a um and Cansey, uh here's the thing. He's a little small. He's a little smaller. Okay. 281. For a defensive tackle, that's pretty small. But he's a great athlete and he does something already at an NFL level, which is this guy is an elite penetrator. He is going to blow up his guy a lot. Uh, a lot of times he is going to defeat the person in front of him, which is something that you can't teach necessarily or something that is harder to teach. Um, this guy is super fast. He ran a four six nine forty uh, in practice last year. Bench press four twenty five. He verted thirty one and a half at the combine. He ran a four six seven, which is insane for a DT. 
um, a guy that's 280 plus pounds. Uh, the another guy we'll talk about later is the only guy who maybe who maybe uh, uh, topped that. This this guy's amazing and incredible. And like I said, he already has an NFL level talent. Like that's it's just awesome. His I think this this guy continues to develop and becomes you know one of those elite interior penetrators. The guy kind of guy we've been looking for for years, and maybe we found with Draymond. But pairing him up with Draymond on pass downs is um horrifying for opposing defenses or offenses like this is uh it would be a a terrifying combination a guy i would love to pick at 20 um yeah so that's that's my that's my collage of uh take the most promising t-rex to ever be drafted in the nfl <laughs> 30 and 5 eighths arm legs doesn't doesn't it, need it, dude. I, I mean that is incredibly I, short. Oh, that is that is a massive outlier, size, and it's why his missed tackle numbers are terrible. Size is the is the question mark for him. A hundred percent. He just doesn't. He's six foot. He's two eighty. His arms are short, um, but he's really strong. So, so like, my comp for him, I, he reminds me of Timmy Jernigan, who okay. ended up leaving the NFL early because of back issues, but was a good interior pass rusher for Philly. Um. And like, I could see that I could see him. I could also see him kind of having a shorter career because of that. But like, we just need him for a rookie deal to make it worthwhile. I think his size probably does push him into the second round, but he does have first round ability. Um, a lot of people say that the, he reminds them of a Seahawks legend, Kevin. This is a comp I've seen multiple places. John Randall. Yeah. Uh, six. John Randall was six one two ninety, a little bit on the smaller end for a DT, but an elite penetrator in the same way that I think Cansey could be. All right, let's go to our, our next player who is uh, the player that I have. I have him at the top of round two. You have him at kind of the end of round one here. That's Lucas Van Ness out of Ooh, Iowa. And Quick change. Right? I that, have him as that, a top 20 pick. Okay. And I Van Ness, one thing that impressed me about him, his athletic testing was out of bounds. I, I kind of had moderate expectations for his athletic testing. And I mean, his athletic testing says a lot. His tape is good. What do you see when you throw on the tape, Kevin? Um, I see someone who has uh, consistent pressures, but uh, is inconsistent in his technique. So he uses athleticism really well. A lot of people will say that he didn't start for Iowa. The dude had 46 pressures last year. Like he may not have started, but he played starting minutes. He played starting snaps. So I think that's a little bit of an oddball uh, thing that they say about him. He's got a really good motor. Um, he's got good length, 34-inch arms. He's kind of an ideal build for uh, a versatile defensive end. Like, he, he can make sense out of two-point or three-point stance. Um, I could see him adding a little bit of good anchor and being a guy who could play down on a 3-4. Uh, that's actually my biggest problem with him is that he gets he got knocked he gets knocked off balance a lot. Um, he's like gets caught leaning or or does stuff like that and gets just knocked off balance. Uh, and I just think I hate when guys get have bad get balance balance issues is like one of my pet peeves when I'm watching uh, a tape. But he he's athletic testing is good enough that yeah he probably will get picked in the first yeah round. I'm with you on that and uh, balance normally bothers me. He's being projected in the top ten. And I'm a little low on him. You're very low on him. (laughs) I I just don't. I think I think he's right on the cusp of round one and two for me. Uh, Someone in the discord asked me to start making a top 100 and I had him around 30, I think. So uh, for now, I need to I need to clean it up a little bit. It's so hard. Okay, I'm going to can I do a little mini rant here? It's like, how do you compare like Jackson Smith and Jigba to to 
to Lucas Van Ness. They don't play the same positions. And like, it's so situational. Like, what kind of system are you going to run? Are you going to play three wide receivers a lot? If so, man, maybe Jackson Smith and Jigba is more valuable than Lucas Van Ness. But they don't, there's nothing, they have nothing in common. Like, they don't, play, they don't even play on the same side of the football. I don't know. I don't get how people make these top 100 lists, is what I'm trying to say. As I've tried to compile it together, I was like, can I just sort by position? <laughs> instead because so that at least one makes as well but for the same reason but i have to make my differently for me it's top five guys top 10 guys top 20 guys yeah. top 50 guys top 100 guys but then that makes it to the last 50 people in my top 100 i'm like yeah they're 51 and 83 are kind of interchangeable all right you want to see a <laughs> you want to see a big boy get moving Let's talk about Mozzie Smith from Michigan. This is the if we're going to take a nose tackle, this is this is the guy, right, Kevin? Uh, I think he's definitely one of the top people in that area, and he's the people everyone loves. His athleticism, just uh, his great athleticism score. He did 34 bench presses with with really long arms, very strong. He moves really fast. Um, My thing is that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really have like much pass rushing stats to, to speak of, but I don't think you never necessarily need your nose tackle to be a, a pass rusher. Does that, does that make sense? You want, you want him to eat up the run game and affect the game there, but how, how high can you draft a guy like that, that you think might be like a zero in the, in the pass rushing department or the top half of round two is the earliest. I think you can draft a guy like that, which is where he's probably going to go. Like this is like DJ DJ Reader. Like DJ Reader, how high can you draft DJ Reader in the draft? A guy who's probably going to get zero sacks, but will be effective on the football field, right? He's gonna help you win football games, but he's just gonna have no sacks. <laughs> that's so, uh, that's kind of how how I feel about Mozzie Smith. I just don't know how where there's no I just don't feel like there's a lot of upside. Does that make sense? No, I completely disagree on that note. Like, like he's just going to be great in the run game. And like, what, what's his sack? What's his sack maximum, Kevin, to you? What's his sack maximum? Six, seven. Oh, see, I think it's like three. I would, I would be surprised if this guy had more than three sacks in a, in a season. So my comparison for him is BJ Raji, who came out of Boston college, ended up on green Bay. And it's because he's got, he's big, he's got long arms. He's really strong, but he has a lot of weird technique things. Like he can straight up bull rush a center and ruin their day. But he gives up a lot of ground trying to, like, sift through defenders to make stops in the run game. He's not very good at using his hands or shedding. Um, He's got, again, long arms for an interior guy. He's really strong, but and he can, like, fight a double team. But then he'll, like, just stand up sometimes instead of keeping a low pad level. Um, I feel like the things he has to work on in order to be an effective nose tackle in the run game are also things that will make him a better interior pass rusher. So either he can become like a solid interior pass rusher as a nose tackle, or he's going to end up being a guy whose athletic testing will uh, never match his productivity. But the thing about BJ Raji is like he showed pass rushing skills in college, right? I just looked it up seven and a half sacks his senior year. Mozzie Smith had half a sack in three years. Like I, I just, I just, there's a lot of development that that's, that's going to happen if he's ever going to be a pass rusher. He's so far from that, in my opinion. And that's what worries me about him is I think he's, he might be like a zero rushing the pasture, like literal, not, not a help in that regard at all. Okay. Uh, let's go back to athletic testing. Let's keep ourselves in athletic testing paradise, Kevin. <laughs> Adetuima Adebayore, uh, out of 
is it Can- Northwestern? Northwestern, Kansas? yeah. I, I was going to say Despite having State. the Kansas State uniforms and Northwestern uniforms very similar and constantly having the same types of players, yes, uh, that, that makes it hard. I was, was going to say, is Northwestern or Kansas State? Because I've seen this jersey a lot of times, but I wasn't sure. And they're both Wildcats, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very difficult for me personally, but the explosive, explosive football player. Let's talk. I'm just going to talk measurables and I'll let you talk tape, Kevin. 99th percentile, 40, 95th percentile, vertical, uh, 82nd percentile, three cone, 88th percentile, shuttle jump, 96th percentile, broad, 86th percentile, 10 yard split. Just tested out of the building for a guy who is 282 pounds, just an absurd performance at his combine and pro day. What do you see when you throw on the tape? Is that is athleticism shine through there as well? Um, so there's certain uniforms in college football where a guy looks slow wearing it. Like people talk about that, like like Penn State <laughs> players uh, tend to look like a half step slower. It's a weird thing. But Northwestern's kind of that way. Like they are asked to play somewhat of a plotting style of defense. But what jumps off the tape is he has a fast first step. He uses his length and leverage really well to stack and shed. But he's really inconsistent. You see some plays where he looks like that dude and then other plays where he he just really isn't able to do it. But the talent around him let teams focus on him. Like he sets a really good edge in the run game. He's got a good motor. He like like if the coverage is good, you have to block him because he will be relentless. He overpowers weaker linemen. He's good on chase down plays. He needs to clean it up as a tackler a bit, but again, like he was the dude, so it was um, like the other teams could really focus on him. He kind of reminds me of Justin Houston coming out, and that's the kind of player that I would be pretty happy to end up with. He feels a little tight to me on the tape. Does that make sense? Like he just feels like he like plays. Like lower body. Yeah, it plays like a little bit tight, especially considering what a great athlete he is. And I don't know if that's mental or physical, but uh, it's hard to say. I'll I think the, he doesn't have the... bend, but he has lateral agility. Yeah, okay fair um if we're a 4-3 team here's a guy here's a guy we could draft in the second round felix on a dk uzuma out of kansas state let's go to the other the other uniform kevin the, the same wildcats um this guy's uh really plays an effective base end, in my opinion um he does get knocked off balance a little bit which is what kept him out of round one for me but a good really good base end prospect uh in my opinion did you like felix as well uh yeah he's another one i think is that he can turn the corner but he can't bend so like he needs to kind of um like a long arm move or something or like an inside uh it's kind of like frank clark wasn't like a super bender either but he could either use his uh use a long arm move or like cut inside and shorten his path to the quarterback and i see a lot of that from uh anadike azoma as well and i agree like the big thing is he can come in and he has good hand usage to be able to get off blocks and be solid in the run game. All right, uh, let's go with uh, Tuli Tuiapulo too. Uh, I love the versatility. He played everywhere uh, all, all along the USC defensive line. Where do you think he ends up in the pros, Kevin? Uh, my least favorite thing is that he came into the combine at 266. I liked him a lot better over 280, and I don't think that dropping all that weight made him more athletic. So if he can play at the weight that he played at USC, then I think he's a great defensive end in a 3-4 system because I see him as either that or an undersized 3-tech, and I like him a lot better as a 3-4 D end 
Like okay. he's really disruptive. He needs to work on some technique things, but he's just kind of a wrecking ball. Um, he reminds me of Zach Allen coming out like a guy who just got a lot of sacks by being able to use his combination of size and being a lot faster than you would think for a dude who's huge. All right, Kevin, I'm going to go back to my favorite team to go for drafts. That's a guy who started at Old Dominion, but is now at Georgia <laughs> Tech. Uh, I finished his career at Georgia Tech. Keon White. The size and athleticism combo here is uh, is very intriguing, but they're inconsistent all over the place. This is a developmental prospect you could take kind of at the end of round two, right? Yeah, 51, I would be okay with. If we took him at 37, I would hate it. Um, he's 24 years old already. Uh, I think he'll be finishing the season at age 25 or another thing to keep in mind. He only transferred to defensive end at 2019. Like he's been, he played tight end prior to that. So that I think a lot of his inconsistency on tape is because of that. He's still like learning the position. Right. But you also have a 24 year old playing against 19 year olds. So it makes his tape even harder. So like, yeah, his raw athleticism is going to play even more up, but he's playing against dudes that are like five years younger than him. So that's a little bit like it makes it a hard eval. I agree. He's super raw. Taking him at the back end of round two or during round three would be cool just because I I think he can develop into that like run stopping and athletic base end. I would rather have him at a three point than a two point stance. Okay. And here's the guy who's like kind of the cutoff for me is top at the end of round two or the top of round three uh, if we trade back or something. Uh, Keanu Benton, uh, the, a big boy. Very, a very big boy. Three, three ten. Uh, I love him already. <laughs> he had four and a half sacks last year. This I actually like, like, I think the, I like gap him between, more than Mozzie Smith. I, I was going to say, I think the gap between those two guys is smaller than people make it out to be. I would straight up take Keanu Benton over Mozzie Smith. Okay. I, I don't just, think that's, I will just be on that corner. I don't, I mind. don't think it's unfair to say that. I think the athletic testing for Smith puts him ahead for me, but Keanu Benton is a, is a more, dynamic football player to me um so i can dig it uh yeah he he um he does he's hard to move you can't move this guy right like he just he's he's he is a his anchor is large human he's good and he played like a ton he's played he played since his freshman year so it's just really a, a really good football player um he just needs to learn how to stay low all the time and not let his pad level get too high because that is when problems will start for him and many other players who play this position. Yep. Uh, all right, here we go. Let's go third or later players rapid fire now that we could be interested in or like we're lower on than most people. Like here's an example of that. Siaki Ika. Um, Kevin, why are we lower on him than uh, than everyone else? Uh, because if you look at his tape, uh, he doesn't like he plays like a undersized three technique except he's 350 pounds and athletically tests like a 350 pound guy. Uh, great value. Danny Shelton. That's what I thought when I watched him. Like, <laughs> just not, not, not someone. All right. A uh, Byron young, Alabama. Uh, Byron young, Alabama is just a guy who comes in and plays defensive end in a three, four or uh three tech on rundowns in a four, three. And is just a really, really, really friggin' solid uh, defensive line rotation guy. He reminds Isn't me of Sean Robinson. The next Red Bryant. That's what I was thinking, actually. Yep, there you go. Yep. <laughs> is like the solid next... run stopper. Love him. All right. Here, here's an example of a player who like sh- could be higher based on production, based on athletic profile, but because of what he did in college and where he athlete and like what he what his size is, I just don't think he has an NFL position. And that's Byron Young, Tennessee. Just 
like he played DT in college. He's not playing defensive tackle in the pros, probably unless he learns how to like just gain a ton of weight without losing any of his athleticism, which is just hard to do. Uh, just a, a weird tweener. That this is the kind of guy the Seahawks draft and ends up playing special teams for us, right? <laughs> I think he plays <laughs> in a two point stance, and it's just going to take him a little while. Like he went like a weird route through college, so he's old and like is super raw and developmental. He's kind of like. He's basically Keon White, except on the edge with a slightly lower, lower ceiling. Um, all right, Zach Harrison. Uh, Zach Ohio Harrison. State. Ohio State, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying uh, to do the schools too. He is, dude has 36 inch arms. His length is incredible. Um, but he just doesn't have, like, he neither has bend nor lateral quickness. And so it makes it kind of hard to project him as a pass rusher. Moro Ojomo, Texas. Uh, Moro Ojomo reminds me of Mario Edwards. He's kind of got that like tweener, D-tackle, D-end kind of body. But I think he could at least be pretty good on rundowns as a defensive end to begin with and kind of develop as a pass rusher. He's got a good first step. Jervin Dexter Sr., Florida. Uh, uh, Gervin Dexter Sr. played everywhere along the Florida defensive line because they lacked good defensive linemen. And so kind of playing weirdly out of position, uh, limit him a little bit. I wish his arms were a little longer at six six, but I feel like he's kind of like a Red Bryant type, which makes him a good fit for a three four D end. Uh, Isaiah McGuire, Missouri, uh, reminds me of Preston Smith. He's got a uh, good like long arm and bull rush. He uses his length really well. He's got the tools to be able to handle a double team, but he's really inconsistent, especially with his pad level and his hand placement. Uh, Carl Brooks, Bowling Green. Uh, I like that he went to Bowling Green because he is shaped like a bowling ball. Um, he's big, uh, but his arms are a little shorter. He's kind of hard to project because he uh, is kind of like Curtis Weaver coming out of Boise State a few years ago. But I think Tyson Alualu is my favorite comp for him, where he needs to figure out what position he's going to play in the NFL and then just get good at that position. But the dude had a crap load of sacks at Bowling Green. He sets records with his sack numbers. Like, I think he's worth a stab as a pass rushing three tech or a rotational three, four guy. Nice. Kobe Turner, Wake Forest. Uh, Kobe Turner is incredibly disruptive, um, both in that he gets into the backfield and disrupts people because he's powerful. Um, and also that you can't trust him to understand how rush lanes work. And he's kind of out of control. If somebody can teach him like discipline as a pass rusher, I think as an interior disruptive guy, he's really good. Um, he reminds me of Osa Odegizua coming out of the draft a couple years ago, played for uh, the Cowboys and has been, again, kind of a disruptive interior guy. All right. And then this is we save these two for last. These are Kevin's favorite late round big dudes, big boys, beefy boys. Uh, I just put I put fat guy in the in the show notes. These are guys that are huge. And I, I've often said on this podcast, like sometimes you just need a really big fat guy to be in the middle of the field and take up space and make it hard for the other team to run on us. It was a problem last year on rundowns. If Al Woods wasn't on the field, teams could just get five yards because we needed a big, big fat guy on the field to just take up space. Like Al Woods was awesome because he's, he's athletic and huge. And, um, you know, he's, we need that, that. What's the, we need the spirit of Vince Wilfork sometimes. That's what you we need. need. A dancing bear. <laughs> yes. A Eric. dancing bear. So, <laughs> Who are your favorite late round big dudes that we could bring in big boys and uh, they could do some damage, Kevin? I actually think this draft is pretty deep with day three huge guys. Um, but my two favorite huge guys, uh, uh, Jared Clark, uh, his name is spelled 
J-E-R-R-O-D. It needs two R's because then you have to fill up the space that his name takes. Jar um, Jarrod. You're saying his name is Jarrod? I think it's Jarrod. Or, but like it's hard to get this is people like, pronouncing his name he, on tape. Is this like when I call like Jared Kellenick? Is this when I call Jared Kellenick Jarred Kellenick? Is this kind of the same thing? No, I think it's like when you called him <laughs> Darrell Taylor. Um okay. so he's six four, three thirty-four with thirty-three and three-fourths inch arms. Uh his athletic testing is respectable for the fact that he's roughly the size of a house. Um, I love he kind of reminds me of Daquan Jones. I love okay. this guy. I'm just looking at pictures. Draft him now. Number five. Uh, Let's go. The thing is, he's going to start off as a guy who uh, just is like a really effective anchor in the run game and uh, like takes up space and like sits in the middle on like the first and second down. But I actually do think he has a little bit of upside as a power pass rusher. He had 28 pressures and four sacks, but he was also playing a low level competition where you'd be playing like a 290 pound center and he would just swallow him whole and then like walk towards the quarterback. Right. Uh, the other guy is Broderick Martin. From wait, 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 Western real Kentucky. quick. I got to yep. ask about this guy. This is this is where I interject here. You stepped all over uh, my joke, but it's fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is really important, though. This guy played tight end in high school. Yeah, this is a Pete Carroll guy. Where <laughs> this is a Pete Sorry. Carroll guy. Same with Keon, same with Keon White. Like this, Pete Carroll loves position conversions. It's his favorite. Oh my gosh! Go ahead. Yeah, Keon. especially when we don't have to do it in the in the pros. Like they already did it for him. All right, Broderick. Uh, so the other guy is uh, Broderick Martin. Um, I personally feel like his name was just Rick, and then he grew up, and they're like, oh well. This is Broderick. Broderick. Yeah, okay. um, maybe he was like Rick Jr. And they were like, no, nah, this ain't a junior to anybody. So he's 6'5", 330. And he looks the part. Like, I was, like there are dudes where you turn on like low-level tape. And uh, Gerard Clark's the same way. Where I was like, oh, let me put up this game. And I turn on the game. And I was like, okay, which one's brought? Oh, never mind. It's the giant guy in the middle who takes up two other people worth of space. Like, he is really powerful. He can handle a really solid snap load. Both these guys were playing like 30 to 50 snaps and staying effective. Um, his bread and butter is he has really good power on the interior. He has really good anchor. He's another guy who can come in and be uh, really effective in the run game. Um, probably a two down uh, nose tackle or one technique uh, to start. Um, I'm not sure if he'll ever have a big upside as a pass rusher, but like I don't really need him to. He reminds me of a uh, um, Kyrie Tonga who's on a uh, uh, Minnesota now. I just like him as a, like these are just two big fat guys who stop the run and I love them and they make me feel happy. All right, there we go. Well, there are many ways to support the Seahawks nest podcast. The best way to do so head over to patreoncom slash Seahawks nest. And for as little as a dollar 24 a month, uh, join the Patreon, join the discord, uh, be like Eric who, uh, who just joined this month. Not you, Eric, different Eric. Um, uh, so thank no you to idea. those who support the show. Emmanuel, Andy, Brett, Cooper, do it all for the two chief. Evan, Flocktimus, Gavin, Greta, James, Jost, Joshua, Lucas, Rad Dad, Nikki C, Ryan, Timothy, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David, Foles, Jay, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Werewolf, Brandon, and Nick, and everyone else who supports the show. Thank you guys. Uh, we'll see you in the Discord. Uh, you guys know if you want to get a hold of us, it's not Twitter, it's not Facebook. <laughs> for me, it's posted in the Discord. I'll, that's where I'm actually going to see it. Big so, text. okay uh movie club the dungeon new dungeon and dragons movie comes out this uh, in in a couple weeks and so we subjected ourselves to dungeons and dragons 2000 uh okay i'm gonna start with the story i'm gonna start with a story okay a story of how this movie got made 
Um, so let's start with Courtney Solomon. Courtney Solomon is a he's the child of a movie producer. Okay, so his mom's a movie producer, and he he goes he spends a lot of his youth. Um, like most on, terrible on, things. Nepotism on, <laughs> is responsible for this. He 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 spends a lot of time on uh, on uh, movie sets when he's a kid. So he wants to be he wants to get involved in movie production. When he's like in high school still, he starts calling the company that owns Dungeons and Dragons in an, in an attempt. At first, he's, he pretends he's an economics student so that he can like kind of, you know, build some rapport. He's writing a report about the economics of Dungeons and Dragons. Eventually, he starts to turn it to try to he's going to try to buy the rights to make uh, a movie. Uh, to make the movie 18 months into this and they they finally agree to it upfront royalty <laughs> with Solomon then he makes a draft of the screenplay um, he's like 24 years old at this point I think um, he goes around the world trying to like develop the screenplay get people involved um, he gets new line involved um, he wants it to be like a like what Lord of the Rings becomes in 2001, a, a one year after new line has a, okay. I'm going to tell you two facts about this movie that are, that are just insane. Now that you've watched the movie one year prior to this, Jeremy Iron wins an award for uh, Academy award for best acting. And one year after this new line cinemas, the same company that makes this movie releases Lord of the Rings, the fellowship <laughs> of the ring. Absolutely bonkers that both of those things are true with how effing terrible this movie is. Okay. That's the, that those yes. things, Anyway, I'm going to he wants to make it like a trilogy. Then he tries to get people involved. Francis Ford Coppola, James Cameron. He gets meetings with all these huge directors. He's never able to get it off the ground. Um, He gets Joel Silver involved from from uh, from Die Hard and Joel Silver gets it over the finish line. This is where we start to see it. He spends. But during this whole time, he did 16 drafts, um, 1991. And there's a direct quote. He said, he said, I don't want this to. He said this was unlike other big budget films that were more focused on effects than plot. That's a direct quote from the guy who made this movie. And I just want to say, if that's really what you thought after writing this script 16 times, that this movie was more focused on effects than plot, I weep for whatever you're reading regularly. I I agree (laughs) that the movie he made was more focused on plot than effects. But I think that just says That's more about the level the of effects than anything about the plot. I mean, okay. So then a couple other interesting facts about this movie before we really dig into the plot and how great the acting and all that wow. stuff is. Um, a couple other just inter- in, huh? interesting facts. Uh, this movie's cost uh, in the neighborhood of like $50 million to make. A $45 million budget. Okay. For this movie. I thought it went down uh, to $36 million is what I read. Because it started uh, it. It's so, something like three hundred million. So they started at yeah they started at a hundred. They wanted a hundred million. They ended up down at forty five, and but it was so cheap to film where they filmed it in the Czech Republic, that in Prague, that they had a bunch of little money left over. And what did they spend it on? Yeah. Visual effects. Oh. 
They spent all that money on visual effects, and I'm just going to tell you, I don't see one dollar of it on the screen. This is no, the they worst spent all visual that money on cocaine, and then listed it as yeah, visual. When you effect. say this visual is... effects, do you <laughs> no, mean the there... director took the money? Hallucinogens. Home? There are so many visual effects in this movie. Like, there's visual effects, in, and it, it's that's like, true. It does have it's the most crazy. visual effects. It's crazy how they spent that money because they got a lot of visual effects. There's like, I think I read somewhere there's 550 visual effects shots in this in this movie. That's nuts for a 108 minute movie. This movie's not even long. I'm and just glad they were able to get the people and equipment that did the original effects on the first House of the Dead video game. Seriously, to be able yeah. to do it, all and, the visual effects on this. Uh, it's, that's what that's what it reminded me of. Eric it reminded me of like those crappy video game FMVs. Like I said, it was like House Trap, <laughs> where it's like you know this is like and Con- he, yeah, exact same. Command and Con- Command and Conquer. Yes, yeah, my exactly. comment was I'm glad they had an extra Sega CD to help with the CGI on this. <laughs> also, Nathan, you said this movie wasn't <laughs> that long. And Con- Command and Conquer. That's <laughs> you so said this odd. movie wasn't wasn't that long. I watched it uh, this last week, and I beg to differ. That movie was excruciatingly long. <laughs> it was 108, uh, the longest 108 minutes of your it was, life. It was so I would like hours. to note, this movie came out <laughs> December 8th of 2000. I looked it up. Another little piece of trivia. My birthday's December 13th. I have now watched this movie twice, 23 years apart. <laughs> me and my friends went to it for my birthday. I went to it. Uh, I, I it was, ruined I was my insulting. birthday. In the I year 2000, the it ruined my birthday. In the year 2000, because there's the thing, I remembered, I was like, I saw this movie in the theater. And then Kevin's like, when before the pre-show, he's like, you saw this movie in the theater with me for my birthday. I was like, oh my gosh, we did. Yeah, we <laughs> saw it at the Lewis and Clark Theater. Clark Theater. In yes. Oh, Washington. What at a great theater. At least the bowling was fun. Yeah. At least uh, the bowling. The bowling yeah. in the arcade at that place was yeah, pretty you guys sick. played the X-Men cool. video game there? Nice. Yeah, Jeremy yeah. Irons was doing his best job to try and rowl Julia this because no. he was hamming it up really hard. No. But it's like is, he just wasn't. Is, he was just hamming it up. This is Al Pacino level. Like, it's too much. It, Jeremy, <laughs> it's it's too, you're chewing too hard. Like, you you got to dial it in a little bit, Jeremy. This performance is not not not. But it. how often was he just interacting with a green screen? Because there was nothing. No, that, did that, do you want to hear something crazy? There's a really cool practical effects place. Uh, you, you know that like that room they're in with all the skulls and stuff and stuff. Yeah, that's a real place. And it, and you, when you look at real life pictures of that place, you're like, wow, that place is sweet. Like, how do they even get convince them to let them film in there? But they made it look not cool. Yeah, <laughs> the way they the way they like set up the scenes, like they managed to make like what I think like when I googled the place, I can't remember what it's called now, but like. When I Googled the place, I was like, this is one of the – okay, it's called the Sedlec Ossuary, and it was the interior for his lair. And when you look at pictures of this place, you're like, wow, this is like one of the coolest places on earth. And then you look at it in the movie, and you're like, wow, they made the the movie version of this worse than the actual real place. I'll put a picture yeah, of it in, like in the It's like they ported the so real location into Mortal Kombat. I mean, the real place looks like a Mortal Kombat level. Like it's like right. it's cool, but yeah, but they made this it. looks like the crappy eight bit version of, or sixteen bit version of the real location. Yes, okay, like okay. it's it's weird. Okay, hey, name let's the, name the only name the only actor in this movie who'd actually seriously played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, who'd actually seriously played? Oh, uh, was uh, it the Thorbridge. was it the little person who was in an episode of Seinfeld? Nope. Marlon Wayans. Oh, oh, I didn't think he was uh, that cool. That was yeah, too Mar- easy. Marlon, Way- Marlon Wayans is cool now. I like Marlon Wayans. Is, is, I already thought he was cool, but now he's like really cool. They could have uh, totally got Vin Diesel for this too because like dude has his elven name and tattooed on him. All right. So <laughs> big missed opportunity. Another another thing. Wait, wait is, should we should we talk how, plot? 
Yeah, okay, let's talk some okay, we can talk some plot. Plot. Uh, so the plot of this movie is thoroughly explained to you in dialogue no matter what because a five-year-old wrote this movie like no it's great because the main character just talks to himself in a constant driving dribbling monologue instead of like having a group of people to talk to where it could be an interesting conversation Right, because because you know what Dungeons and Dragons is really about at the end of the day, it's about the party, right? It's like the the whole thing is like, hey, it's you and a group of friends doing an adventure. Well, could could Elwood and Norda, the elf and fighter, could they matter less in this movie? Like they nothing. Well, they Justin nothing- Whalen playing Ridley Freeborn was clearly the DM's girlfriend's character because <laughs> Ridley because gets to do everything. Oh my God. Marlon Wayans just does one interesting thing and then dies. Is and then the the mage character does magic like one time in the whole movie and then basically just exists as like a like romance option for Ridley. It feels like a single player campaign. The dwarf like... is the reason Peter Jackson hates dwarfs. I'm convinced of that now. I think you're right. <laughs> like that Absolutely. character is awful. Thora Birch is terrible as the Empress who Okay, so the main plot of the movie is that uh Empress Thora Birch wants to end class warfare in I don't know where they are. Where what's the name of the place that they Dragonlandia? Live? I don't fucking. Know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it doesn't guess. matter. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, she wants to. She wants to. She has a Easter scepter Oaks. that can, she has a scepter that can control gold dragons, and then this powerful council of mages rules over the land. And she's like, I want to bring freedom to the people and equality, so I'm going to use my gold dragon scepter to threaten everyone. And then, uh, the- and then of course, of course, blue blue lip blue lips and. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, they don't like that so much. So they're like trying to politically pressure her into giving up the gold, but while also simultaneously trying to find a scepter that can control red dragons, which by the way, that prop is the ugliest prop in movie history. It's got to look cool because it's like the primary thing that the movie's it built around. It looks like around. somebody painted an extra prop left over from Babylon 5. It's so crappy. No, that's wor- worse, Kevin. Babylon Five does not deserve that kind of shade. It looks no, like it so- looks like so the two the two <laughs> scepters look like they're like the steering wheel of like a uh, of like a fighter craft in like a uh, like a Star Wars Space type movie. thing, and they're just like quick cut this in half and paint one gold and one red, and they're like cool done got it. Un- it's unbelievably bad, and then it looks so ugly. That's like one of the only cool scenes in the movie though. Does that eye hallway with like the flames coming out like. Hey, that actually looks good. Oh, when he's and doing the puzzle? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, oh, that's, that's one of the only things that actually felt like D&D. That's where yeah. the budget went, yes. Well, and it also, like, it's practical effects, and it makes sense. Like, they didn't just put CGI fire blasts in there for no reason, like they did with the CGI blood at the beginning of the movie going down <laughs> the stairs, which, by the way, ugliest... It's so, You know, all you gotta do is, like, it's so easy to make real fake blood like any little kid could do it we did it in college we had these we made a splat pack for like a, a student film we made it's so easy to do but, and if what you, you had four, four million dollars for special effects more <laughs> <laughs> the but like 45 million dollars i'm sure that they spent like 25 of it on these garbage special effects the dragons look bad uh like i said it's about the party like kevin said it's about the party but they everything's about ridley um it's just so annoying yeah but okay so back blue lips and uh and jeremy irons they try to they try to politically pressure oh of note blue lips is being like uh <laughs> held hostage by a magical brain like 
thing. Oh, are you talking about that little the brain leech? Snakes that come brain out leech. of his ears. Yeah, snakes coming yeah. out of his ears. Yeah. Uh, but then, but then when that thing is ended later on, he still is a villain. So I don't really know what the point of that was. If he's just gonna follow the once a jerk, man, always oh. a jerk, Kevin. What's What's the point of that? Like, there, there's so many things like that in this movie. Like, when the guy destroys the dragon scepter and says he won't be like you, and then Thora Birch, very villainy, villainly, just <laughs> has a dragon eat him 30 seconds later. What was the point of that? Oh, okay, cool. Also, <laughs> why is the red dragon scepter bad, but the gold dragon scepter is not bad? If the reason given for the red dragon scepter being bad is that it put things out of balance to control the dragons? Like, uh, so that's consistent. Dude, there's no this movie has no the 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 thing nothing makes sense in this movie. Don't don't try to it's it's pod racing his wizard, uh Jedi Council, Darth oh, Maul exists the for some reason. Of mages was I was just gonna say- like the dumbest weird old dudes in the background for no reason plot point I've ever seen. They just yeah, a bunch of old dudes yelling this the Phantom Menace uh before the podcast. I was like, that is perfect. That is exactly the problem with this. You're like, I, there might be a trade dispute. I'm not sure. Why do the thieves <laughs> guilds not like each other from different towns when they're theoretically allied to? Like and that I doesn't and, it, and then it works. doesn't and it doesn't matter at the end. No, nope. Nothing nothing that the characters do really matters until they, we get to this showdown between Ridley and uh and uh Jeremy Irons prof profilon pro Fremulon? I don't Prophylactic? <laughs> I don't remember. Prophylactic? Uh, anyway, they, they battle they battle it out or whatever. Um, I don't know. The whole thing. <sighs> the fact that it, Lord of the Rings came out a year later and still looks the way it does is... Like, Lord of the Rings... That's enough. The SFX in Lord of the Rings haven't aged, like, super great, but they're, so, they're better than these to such a degree it is embarrassing. Like, this movie... It's so bad, um, Eric. I, I feel like I haven't let you talk very much. So give me your, give me your, uh, give me your, your, your minute, two minute, three minute, five minutes, however much your time. The floor is yours. What do you think about Dungeons and Dragons two thousand? As I believe we've all played D anD D at some point, and a lot of people listening have, uh, or or know someone who has. What is uh, really quick something that we all? What's something you love, Nathan, about D anD D? Um, like it's like kind of like. It's it's a fun way to like kind of BS with my friends and have some like structure around it and like just it's it's like hang out with your friends but and then you're like doing a thing and you, yeah it's like that it's yes. it's fun it's like that that's the fun of it the, the heart of it is like it's like hanging out with your friends the party like I said the party is the heart it's a of- party but with a structure where you're all involved in this world right correct Kevin Kevin what do you love about D and D like in addition to what Nathan said it's um, collaborative puzzle solving. You feel like you're given this thing in front of you and you and your friends get to figure out how it works and find the best way to accomplish the thing you need to. Or your, your best way. (laughs) The best way you can find the best. (laughs) You don't pick the best way you pick your best way. And that's what makes it fun. Uh, I also like that. I like how you can meet people playing D and D as a, as a young lad before I played it, I loved the monsters. I love the monster handbooks. Um, just oh, yeah. looking some, at all some the good art, some great cool art, lore. but also like it really helped you understand the world, this world building and all that. Everything you guys said and I, the things that I said, none of that was in the movie. And you had a oh, uh, what about that little gar- what about that little garbage CGI imp that's in like a million <laughs> scenes? Like, what, little, little, that little piece of trash that's on the, everyone's shoulder, all that it's on Blue Lip's shoulder sometimes. Even better, <laughs> what about the beholder showing up in this movie? <laughs> like and just floating around doing nothing for a minute. Do you guys you guys play D D? What does the beholder do? 
It's like it's the ultimate like, badass monster. Yeah, and it's like very intelligent. It's a Swiss Army knife of death. Yeah, it's oh yeah, speaking Swiss of intelligence, of death, that's perfect. And what speaking are they of doing? intelligence? They made the dragons look so dumb in this movie too. Oh, like and and dragons are super intelligent in in the lore of Dungeons. I feel and like they were like okay, Dungeons and Dragons. Let's have a scene in a dungeon, and uh, we'll put some dragons in. Get to work. Like there's no there's no anything that corresponds to D anD D in this movie. Everything you said about the budget, the acting, the actors that they hired, guys, it's a wrap. I mean, I I didn't see this in theaters because I was old enough to know it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Um, yeah, it's okay. So apparently, that's a mind flare inside the guy's uh, head. Which that's is not, not how that mind, works. That's not what mind flares look like. <laughs> I think like there's a lot of creative creative liberties taken in this movie because the i would just guy, say liberties none of it's very his, creative he said his goal was to make like a like a successor to raiders of the lost ark you know <laughs> like a great adventure film there but there's like no this movie has no heart like it's just like yeah that's like part of the problem it's like and also god god bless justin whalen he's trying so hard in this movie <laughs> with just nothing and this love storyline makes no sense and it and like there's that scene where they first kiss it the whole conversation if you like track it from beginning to end you're like why would this conversation ever end in two people making out like like it just doesn't make <laughs> it doesn't make any sense but it's just like it there it is and he and they're overacting like they're all both overacting like not all elves are bad not all mages are bad and he's like he's like uh and then yeah I don't know this is <laughs> yeah that. This, oh, I and snail, snails, 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 death, like snails, death scene. Like that's what oh, that be, made like, sense, kinda, right? God, that was that was in character for the lame. whole movie. They just just wanted. That's like felt like they just wanted to like murder the own. Like I don't know, snails is annoying, but like they just wanted to murder a character just to try to get an emotional reaction from the audience. There was hey. no, there was no build up to that, and there was definitely not a payoff after. Also, guys, either. what's uh, why do they, why do they call them snails? Oh, I forgot why. For Kevin and Eric, there you go. That's. Because there's no reason they don't. <laughs> they never explain it. I was like, oh, I thought they did explain it, and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe there's. But apparently, the new to see. No, they did the, maybe the new, maybe the new Dungeons and Dragons movie is good, guys. It, I've actually heard it is. It apparently is uh is very good, and um, I mean, I think, it looks like an actual movie, so that's already a plus. <laughs> it yeah. has it has actors you've heard of, uh, besides you know, all due respect, Jeremy Irons, hey, Thor Birch. Hey, Justin Whalen was in Suzy Q. And uh, Child's Play three and Serial <laughs> Mom, they would they would not let they oh, would not have let people. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Justin Whalen is solid, man. He's he tried really hard, and if this ruined his career, I feel bad for him because, yeah, he he deserved better. He didn't deserve this. <laughs> yeah, he deserved he deserved better. Uh, okay, Dungeons uh, Dungeon Dragons twenty two or two thousand rating on a scale of zero to five. Eric, that's a one. Oh, it's a 0. 0.5. It's, 0.5, it's, you got it. It's it's it was the word it was a terrible movie. I cannot, it is a zero out of five. It's not even fun. Uh and it ruined my birthday. I, I needed to be really <laughs> I needed to be really under the influence of alcohol to try to watch this, and I was not. I was Yeah, we need to watch this together so we could make fun of it in it was real a, time. That I was think a mistake. It, I just don't think it would be that fun, even though that's because there's not anything to make fun of. It's just bad. 
Jeremy Irons said he needed to pay for his castle. That's like why he. Someone asked him why he did this movie. I said I needed. He needed he to bought pay. a castle like two years, a year and a half before. Yeah, I read that yeah, too. So um, yeah. All right. Well, I hope someone had fun watching this movie because I certainly did. And for Eric, for Kevin, <laughs> we will see you next week. Go Hawks. 